morning and welcome to week five of our series, Living on a Prayer. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that Jesus gave his followers to teach us how to pray. And as we've done this, we've been learning how to see God as our Holy Father who loves us so much. He always wants what is best for us and who is so powerful, he can always do what is best for us. And we've been learning how to treat him as holy by submitting to his will for our lives, how we pray for up there to come down here. And we've been learning how to depend on our Father to meet all of our needs. And then last week we looked at the importance of forgiving people who have sinned against us. Now today we come to Matthew six thirteen, where Jesus tells us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today's message is called Deliver Us because we need to be delivered. We need God's power to overcome temptation and the deceptions of the evil one. And we need to pray for that. Now, as we get started today, I want to show you some pictures. And they're, they're actually pictures of instruments of death for bugs. See, bugs don't know this, but bugs have an enemy. And that enemy is bigger and smarter and stronger than they are. And that enemy stays up late at night trying to figure out ways it can lure little bugs to their death. And these are some of the ways. And bugs go to these things voluntarily. They they choose to enter into the very things that will lead to their death. Why? Well, their enemy is smart enough to know you just can't say to a bug, choose death. So all these things involve deception. They involve the promise of life. And a bug looks at them and thinks that they're desirable to the eye or good for food. But they lead to death. This first picture is of a a cockroach prison. It's called a roach motel because even when we're killing bugs, we want to be kind. You know, this is where bugs go to sleep. And this thing has a little food inside and roaches think it'll be really good. But it's the last meal a roach ever eats. Roaches check in, but they never check out. This next picture is flypaper, and I'm told it emits an odor flies like, and so they land there, but once they land, they never fly again. They fly to their death. And, and then this thing is called a, a bug zapper. You ever been around one of these? You, you, you hear this kind of electric sound, zap, 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 over and over and over again, the sound of bugs hitting the zapper, and Bugs love the light. They look at that light and they think, that's so cool. I'd like to get closer to that light. And they fly in and they get zapped. And it just goes on all night long, bug after bug after bug. And you'd think that after a while, bugs would wise up. You'd think that they would notice the tray underneath that light is littered with the body of a, bodies of impulsive bugs who've gone before them. You, you'd think that, that some thoughtful bug would say, hey, wait a minute. All my friends go to the light, but they never come back. I will not blindly follow my desires. I will think about the cost of getting a close look at that big, beautiful blue light. But no bug ever does this. Apparently, they say to themselves, I know what I'm doing. I'm strong enough, smart enough to handle this without getting burned. I don't need to think about this. And all night long, it goes that way. Zap, zap, zap. Because there is a way... That seems right to a bug, but the end thereof is death. Only a bug would be that stupid, right? But every few weeks or so, we hear 
of powerful politicians and wealthy athletes, of world-famous celebrities and, and billionaires and successful pastors all getting drawn to the light. Well, what's going on? I'm going to show you another picture of another instrument of death. Anyone want to guess what kind of bug this catches? The book of Genesis doesn't tell us what kind of fruit it was, but there was a tree that grew fruit and it was forbidden. And Genesis 3, 6 says this, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for wisdom. Zap. And you have to wonder every time we read about another person who falls to temptation that destroys their life, their marriage, their family, their soul, you wonder why. Why do we willingly give in to what we know will destroy us? Why do we choose to violate our values, the very things that sustain our souls? Why do intelligent people engage in dark and stupid actions that we know we'll be ashamed of? Why do we fly to the light? The Bible says that at least part of the answer is you have an enemy and so do I. And he's bigger and stronger and smarter than we are. Paul writes these words in Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Firm. You see, the evil one's fundamental identity is tempter. His fundamental weapon is temptation. And, and this is why Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because temptation is what the evil one does. And that's why it is so vital that we pray this prayer. I want to ask you to get your Bibles open to Paul's letter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 6 through 13, because this is one of the Bible's classic passages on temptation, and it's going to help us understand and practice what Jesus is teaching us in this part of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the context in 1 Corinthians 10 is Paul's writing about temptations that the Israelites gave into on the Exodus and uh, the time afterward, and their sin just destroyed them. Here's verse 6 and following. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 
Now, this final verse, verse 13, is, is one of the central statements in Scripture about temptation. And in this message, I want to walk you through three observations about temptation that flow from this verse. And the first observation comes from the very first sentence. It's this. You can write it down in your message notes. Expect temptation. Expect temptation. Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And, and, and you will be tempted. So don't be surprised. Don't get caught off guard. The prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray when he says deliver us from temptation doesn't mean deliver us from the experience of temptation because there's no human being on the face of this earth that's ever delivered from that. Jesus himself was tempted. You know, sometimes I talk with people who seem surprised they get tempted, but it's just part of being human, living in a broken, fallen world. And so we're to pray for deliverance from giving in and from being destroyed by temptation. Nobody's temptation free. And this means your ability to identify and resist temptation is enormously important. Psychologists did a famous experiment about resisting temptation a few decades ago. An experimenter leaves a little kid, four or five years old, with some marshmallows in a room. And they, they, they say, I'm, I'm going to leave the room and there's one marshmallow here. And if you wait until I get back, you can have two marshmallows. But if you eat it while I'm gone, you'll only get one. In the original experiment, they divided these kids into a grab the marshmallow now group and a delay gratification resist temptation group. And it's amazing. Those who resisted temptation at the age of four grew up to be more socially competent, more decisive, with, with higher self-esteem, lower rates of delinquency, less anger management issues, and, and a lower divorce rate than the grab the marshmallow now kids. And I don't know if you've seen video of the experiment, but it's hilarious trying, uh, watching the kids who are trying to resist. Uh, the best example is this little boy who actually licks the table around the marshmallow like the, the flavor transmogrified over somehow. So here's a question. What's your marshmallow? Maybe it's eating too much or too little. Maybe it's online shopping. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's anger or maybe it's pride. Maybe it's in a bottle. Maybe it's the joy of passing judgment on other marshmallow eaters. So the question really is this, where are you most vulnerable to temptation? And I want to explain something about the word Jesus uses for temptation. Paul also uses it in 1 Corinthians here. We tend to re restrict the idea of temptation to certain areas. For example, men, when you, you consider the topic of temptation, how many of you would say that sex is one of the first words you think of? I mean, not that you have a problem, but, you know, there's someone in your life group who does. We tend to think automatically in terms of certain categories. But this word translated temptation is also translated testing in Scripture. The paradigm case for temptation, uh, biblical scholars say, is the story of the Garden of Eden where the serpent and the fruit. And the paradigm story of testing is when Abraham was commanded by God and, and asked, are you willing to sacrifice your son, Isaac? And when we understand both meanings, we begin to see that in every temptation, there's a test. And in every test, there's a temptation. You know, we often trivialize temptation. We use the word to talk about eating dessert. But in the Bible, temptation is never trivial. What's at stake is the human soul. And here's an important truth. You can write this down. Giving into temptation 
is allowing myself to be torn away from the God who loves me. That's what's at stake. And the tempter's not stupid. He won't say to you, choose death. He won't try to tempt you with something obviously destructive to you. In fact, the most dangerous temptation you face is probably not the most dramatic one. It's the one most likely to subtly lure you away from intimacy with God. If you look again at 1 Corinthians 10, you'll notice that Paul begins by giving four examples of temptation. The first one is the temptation of worshiping an idol. Then in verse 7, it's the temptation of sexual immorality. Then in verse 8, it's the temptation of testing God, shaking our fist in God's face and saying, give me what I demand or I'll renounce you. And, you know, if I, I, I took a poll, my guess is not many of you would say, oh, today I worshiped an idol or I committed adultery or I renounce God. But there's one more temptation in verse 9. It's the temptation of grumbling. Anyone grumble today? See, the purpose of the evil one is to separate you from God. And whatever is most likely to do the trick, that's what he'll use. And grumbling can just be as effective as idolatry or adultery sometimes. In fact, sometimes it might be far more dangerous because it's so subtle. So you need to understand that the evil one doesn't just tempt you to do what's wrong. He tempts you not to do what's right. He wants you not to go deep with God and not to do the things with your life that God has created you to do. It may be that the most important temptation you face today is just busyness. Because that's what's keeping you from deep prayer and deep love for God and deep faith in God. Just busyness. And you don't even know that's a temptation. Maybe. Maybe the most important temptation you face is the phone you're holding in your hand. And I'm not in your living room with you, but I am pretty confident a good number of you have looked at your phone sometime during this message already. Maybe you've gotten a little distracted. You can email me with your confession if you want. You see, the evil one, he does not have power to destroy you. He cannot kill you. He cannot wrestle you away from God. The evil one is not the counterpart of God in terms of power. Only God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, not the evil one. Essentially, the single power the evil one has is to tempt you. If any human being's soul is destroyed, it will be through temptation. And so the temptation battle is the most important battle you'll ever fight. The evil one, he'll try to make it look like giving in to temptation is no big deal, but it is. And some of you are in it right now up to your necks, and it's a big deal. Think about this. Truth is, anytime that which is most valuable to God, a human being is destroyed spiritually... It happens through giving in to temptation. So expect it. You're no exception to this rule. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And second, God knows just how much temptation you can bear. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that. Also in verse 13, Paul writes, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, this statement is sometimes misused by Christians to talk about suffering. They'll sometimes say to a person in bad pain, oh, God won't let you suffer beyond what you can bear. But the Bible doesn't say that. People suffer to the point of death every day all around the world. This is about temptation. And God knows just how much you can bear. 
a long time ago, I used to work out with a friend and this guy knew more about the body and, and physical conditioning than I will ever know. And sometimes when we were lifting, I would be lifting and every muscle in my body was screaming, stop. And he would just say, two more reps. You can do it. You got it in you. Two more, two more. And, and in my mind, I'd say bad words to him. But I do it. And he was right. It was amazing. I, I don't know how he knew, but he knew just how much I could bear. And it wasn't much, but he knew. God knows. God knows just how much temptation you can bear. And I don't know how he knows, but he knows. He will not allow the evil one to go beyond that point. So write this down. This is a promise from Scripture, and you should claim it. And that ought to be very encouraging to everyone listening. There is no temptation that I face that is not filtered through the Father's eyes and hands and his care. You can have this hope. But there's also alongside of this a sobering implication, and it's this. This means that that you and I can never rationalize giving into sin by saying, I couldn't help myself. I, I just couldn't resist any further. God does not leave that excuse open to us. He didn't intend to. In James 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, he will flee, but it will take resistance. And you have a very good trainer, and he is with you all the time, and he watches you real close, and he knows just how much you can bear. But that means there are no excuses. And so if you've been letting yourself off the hook by saying my circumstances are too bad or I'm too weak, I don't have a choice, it is time for you to face painful reality. This is not what the Bible teaches. Number three, when you're tempted, God himself always provides a way out. It says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And that's good news. You can stand up under it. You don't have to cave into it. God will make a way. And that's what you pray for. And that's what you should be praying for, always praying for. And then you act on that. Now, in the moments that remain, I want to talk about three actions for finding a way out of temptation. This, this is about our part in, in being delivered from temptation and the evil one's deceptions. You can write these down as well on your message notes. Number one, You arrange your life around joy. Arrange your life to experience the joy of the Lord. And experiencing authentic, God-honoring joy may be the single greatest weapon against temptation a human being will ever have. Nehemiah 8.10 is a classic statement in Scripture. It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, think about what it means to say that joy is strength. That also tells us the opposite thing. Conversely, joylessness is always a setup for vulnerability to sin and disobedience. One writer puts it like this. Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. And over the years, I've seen so many people, people who are leaders in churches, people who are pastors of churches, just bail on God and they, they fly off into some stupid life because month after month and year after year, their life was just filled with one duty after another and all the joy just got choked out. And in that, they quit trusting that God would really care for them and, and they led miserable lives for a long time and their fall was inevitable. You know, our success in overcoming temptation 
will be much easier if we are basically happy in our lives. For example, when people experience sexual temptation, what's driving it? Very often underneath it's loneliness or boredom or self-pity or resentment. Maybe at a spouse. And as long as, as I only focus on the surface sexual issues, trying really hard to resist that temptation, then I'm not getting to the root. And the root is there's deep pain in my life that I'm not admitting and I'm not bringing into the light. And, and so to the extent that you have authentic joy, then temptation, which is always the offer of the illusion of joy, never joy itself, to the extent that you have authentic joy, then the deceptive illusion of joy is not going to be very tempting. It's just not. See, this is very important. When it comes to temptation, the joy of the Lord really is strength. So the question here is, what do you need to do to increase the joy factor in your life? What are the God-honoring activities and relationships that bring real joy? Maybe it's being in nature for you. Maybe it's time with certain friends. Maybe, maybe it's physical challenges that you love. Maybe as you pray, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That This needs to be part of what you pray for. God, help me be joyful today. Help me to find those things that fill me with joy. Help me to live with joy in you. See, you are responsible to arrange your life so that the joy of the Lord can be your strength. You must do that. No one's going to do it for you. And if you don't, you become a target for the evil one. The second way out you need is to develop relationships of accountability. And here's why that's important. Temptation always involves hiddenness and darkness. And I just want to say this to you as frankly as I can. If you think you can handle sin and temptation on your own, you are deceiving yourself. You are sadly deceived because you have an enemy and he is bigger and stronger and smarter than you are. Now, there was a woman one time, evidently, whose big temptation was shopping. And, and she and her husband finally agreed, you just have to stop. Don't give in anymore. But the next time she came home, she had a new dress. And her husband said, what's going on? I thought we agreed. The next time you're in a store and you were tempted to get a new dress, you were going to say, get thee behind me, Satan. And this woman said, well, I did. And Satan said, hey, looks pretty good from back here too. You know, if you try to handle temptation on your own, you will fail. And one of the things this means is that you need someone you can go to, that you can say to, I want you to know, this is my marshmallow. And I want you to ask me how it's going with my marshmallow on a regular basis. And I want you to feel free to confront me when you're concerned about my behavior. I'm just giving you an open door. And when you're tempted, you need someone to call. You know, in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, we have people that are called sponsors. And a sponsor is available to help any time, day or night. And everyone needs one. And you need someone to call who you can say to, I want that marshmallow real bad right now. You need someone who will say to you, don't go for the marshmallow. It's going to kill you. And I'll come be with you. And I will pray for you. And I'll do whatever you need me to do for you. Just don't go for it. You know, this is one of the Fundamental differences between genuine community and pseudo-community. So many churches fall into this. 
in pseudo community, everyone pretends they don't have a marshmallow problem. They, they say, yeah, I had a marshmallow problem once, but now I'm strong. I'm, I'm past all that stuff. But in authentic community, people always know I'm just one marshmallow away from a real mess. There's this little monster inside me that still craves it. And so they ask other people, will you help me with my problem? In biblical, authentic community, that's what people do. You see, authentic community is just a bunch of people with marshmallow problems. Now, if you're with someone right now, why don't you look at the person next to you? Just literally turn for a second and take a real good look at them. They have a marshmallow problem, a serious marshmallow problem. You offer them one of those things and they're in deep weeds. But you know what? They're sitting next to someone with a marshmallow problem. And in churches where people pretend they don't have a problem, it's just death. But in churches where grace and truth break through, where people can be part of life groups and care groups and other ministries where they can together get past that junk and be honest with each other, where they can say, you know what, I got a problem and I need help and I hope you'll help me. And then people do that for each other where we recognize we are all creatures who are much smaller and slower and weaker than the enemy. And we all need help from God and from each other. You know, there is incredible power in authentic community. I mean, who knows what your marshmallow is? Who do you call when you want your marshmallow really bad? You know, if you can't come up with a name right now, then I challenge you to start praying today. God, I I need someone like that in my life. Help me think about who that might be. Help me understand what, what the next step is that I need to take to deepen my relationship with that person until I know them well enough and can trust them deeply enough that I can share with them. You know, if you do have someone like that in your life, take some time this week and tell them how it's going with your marshmallow. Let them know. Let them know. You see, that's a way out. And as we've seen, you you need to arrange your life for joy. You need an accountable relationship. And here's a, a final way out. Write this down. You need to immerse your mind and your life and your heart in Scripture. And as your pastor who loves you, I long for everyone at Southwinds to have our minds and hearts and lives just washed in Scripture. And not so we can know a lot of stuff and carry a lot of Bible trivia around with us, but so that we can think and feel and desire in ways that are just transformed. You see, the best way not to eat a marshmallow is not by trying really, really hard not to eat marshmallows. The best way is by making sure you're eating better stuff on a regular basis. Because you're going to eat, so eat good stuff. Because if you don't eat the good stuff, you'll eat the bad stuff. You are going to eat. So eat what's good. I want you to think about, look, look at the, the master of temptation management. That's Jesus. The tempter comes to Jesus at one of the the classic moments in his life, the very beginning of his ministry, and Jesus begins to do battle with the evil one. And if you know the story, you know three times Jesus is tempted. Turn the bread into stone. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to suffer. Jump down from the temple. You'll be saved. You don't have to suffer. You can do something spectacular. God's going to take care of you. Bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Your mission can be accomplished right now. And three times Jesus answers. And three times, every time it begins with these words, it is 
written. Look at what is said in Matthew 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus' mind was so washed in the word And he lived in its reality so thoroughly that he saw right through the deception of the evil one. And he said, why would I choose that? So you need to get real clear on what's your marshmallow, on where you're most likely to be tempted away from God. And then you need to immerse your mind in relevant scriptures. You know, if anger is your deal, then read verses like Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And you you say that verse over and over again, and then you practice it. If it's fear or lack of trust, Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then everywhere you go, all day long, you're reminding yourself, the Lord my God will be with me wherever I go. If grumbling is your marshmallow, then you read 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances for this, and that means to be thankful always, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so you begin to say, give thanks, give thanks all the time. You begin to practice it. And while you're doing that, you are washing your mind in God's word and you're praying about it and you're talking to God all the time. And I know something about everyone listening to me right now, and that is this. You wrestle with temptation. And I know some of you are wrestling big time right now. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the zapper. I want you to remember the next time you face temptation, and it may be in five minutes. I want you to remember the damage it will do to your soul. Temptation can lead you to violate your integrity to create guilt and despair, to destroy a marriage, to stop the flow of worship for you, to cause you to hide from other people, to lead you into hypocrisy and deception. It's just bad. And some of you are flying right for it. Don't do it. Don't do it. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will make a way out. And maybe you've been battling temptation a long time and maybe right now you're discouraged. Maybe the truth is the battle's not going well at all. And maybe... Maybe you've not even been trying real hard. Maybe, maybe you're wondering right now, is there enough grace for me? Is there any hope for me? Will things ever be any better for me? See, there really is a battle going on. You really do have an enemy and God really will help you. You know, there's, there's a prayer that most of us know. It's a prayer that most of us don't really take seriously. We think it's just for kids, but If you think about it, it's actually a real expression of the Lord's Prayer. And parents used to teach children this prayer for bedtime. It's kind of sobering if you think about it. I want you to listen to these words. You know them. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. To take. Now, most people don't know the second verse, which kind of gets a little darker. Here's how that goes. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. 
And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Uh, those are real cheery words to tuck Junior in with at night, right? I mean, don't let the bed bugs bite. Cruel death is always near. Good night, honey. You know, you kind of wonder, why would any parent have their kid pray that? Well, historically, it was done because people have always understood what we often forget in our day, that life really is a battle and that we are really very frail and that we have an enemy. And our one hope is to pray to the Father, our God, all the time, my soul to keep because it is your soul at stake. Your soul is precious to God, and I don't care how hard the struggle is, and I don't care how many times you've fallen before, you can get back up. God will help you, and it is worth the struggle. Friends, we have an enemy, and he is strong, but there is one who is stronger still, and he has won the battle. He died on the cross for our sins and he defeated death and defeated the evil one when he rose from the dead. So whatever your struggle or whatever your temptation, you don't face it alone. So make this your prayer. This is a prayer for any child of God to pray for the protection of our soul from the destruction and death of temptation, from the dangers of the evil one. And we can pray this prayer because Jesus, the King of heaven, has won the battle. We're going to conclude our time uh, today as we have each week of this series. Let's pray the words of the prayer Jesus gave us together. And I'm gonna ask you, would you join me in praying out loud wherever you are right now? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people say, amen. Your father loves you and he's always ready to forgive you and he will always protect and deliver you. So just ask him.